In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. And the safety war starts now. For Proceeding with our ongoing series this month, this is September 2022, on Disaster Preparation Month. We're to, on this episode, today, we are going to discuss first aid kits, right? So, when you go and you buy a first aid kit, normally, you're gonna, it's going to be listed on there, hey, uh, this is OSHA approved. First of all, OSHA doesn't approve anything. Second of all, OSHA refers you to the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, uh, specifically the Z308, whatever the current standard is, changes every couple of years, on first aid kits, what's in a first aid kit, and everything else. So we're going to talk a couple of things on first aid kits. First of all, what legally is first aid, and let me give you some background. A couple of years back ago, from uh, ago, right, before the pandemic, I kept on hiring first aid, CPR, AED trainers for my company, JCB Technical, and they were really good trainers, did what they were supposed to. What happened was the standard fare for CPR is this, stabilize the person, call 911. Every trainer I got in there, stabilize the situation, call 911. There is no, never any type of uh, uh, workplace first aid CPR AED, which is different than community. In the community CPR, first aid CPR, that's probably 100% appropriate, and that's how we all train. For workplace first aid CPR AED, things are a little bit different. You have to include bloodborne pathogens, number one, and number two, no, under the bloodborne pathogens standard. Number one. And number two, you have to include something about accident management and notifying OSHA for what kind of accidents and also teaching, hey, little cut, you don't have to call 911. Little cut, you probably, and I'm not going to, no, don't take this as medical advice because it is, and I'm just a guy on the internet. No, 
maybe first aid case. No, documented. This is how you document things. This is how you manage accidents, things of that nature. You don't always necessarily want to call 911 unless it's necessary. One is, for me, it's an ethical issue. For a paper cut, I'm not going to call 911 for all. If it's that serious, I'll take the person to urgent care, uh, sort of thing. I, I have had clients go and, hey, paper cut, no, 911 ambulance. And then before you know it, regulatory agencies are knocking on the door. Hey, guess what? You know, we're going to inspect you. And then I waste everybody's time. And with my clients, they rarely, if ever, have have a problem with regulatory issues because we keep them straight. So what ended up happening was I ended up going and doing something I never wanted to do, which was first aid CPR training the trainer. I went to a train the trainer course. And uh, now I am a first aid CPR AED trainer. And right now it's the most requested course that we do here at Safety Words JCV Technical. It's incredible uh what they're going what the number of uh uh classes we've taught this year alone just on something that i didn't really want to get into right i want to hire somebody with so uh if you need first aid cpr training give us a call uh 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com now let's get back to first aid kits so the way that ANSI american national standards institute breaks down what's in a first aid kit is that they identify class A and class B type kits. Class A kits are the smaller ones. Class B kits are the larger ones. And they have everything in there that you would probably need in the workplace, most likely. The thing is this, you have to do, hey, the triple A's. We always talk about the triple A. Assess, analyze, act, and prepare, always. Uh, so AEDs, automatic electronic uh, defibrillators. According to ANSI, you don't need them. According to my understanding of this, you don't need them. According to OSHA, you don't need them. Now, here's my question. You have a workplace, All right? Let me adjust the camera just a little bit. You're in a workplace. You're the person in charge of that's maybe human resources, maybe a safety professional. Do you need an AED? Hmm. Someone dies in your workplace. Let me ask this question. Someone dies in your workplace from a heart attack and maybe work related, stress related, may not be. Do you really want to be the person who has the answer for that? Hmm. How much does an AED cost? You can get them for about a thousand bucks. I can guarantee you that if you hire somebody like me to manage your situation, it's going to be costing you a hell of a lot more than a thousand bucks for to resolve that situation. So you have an AED and you have trained people to use it. Probably a good idea. Where are AEDs found? Pretty much ubiquitous. Airports, uh, a lot, every one of my clients has them available uh, in their workplace. Uh, schools, transportation hubs, hospitals, obviously, any of those have AEDs. So 
that would be something that you would probably need uh, under certain circumstances if it's appropriate. So, for example, if you have people like over 50, well, I'll be 49 forever, but over 50, guess what? That might be an appropriate thing. In the past, that's what doctors have told me. Young people, 20 years old, is that appropriate? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice. I have no idea. So there has to be an assessment done on that. Second, number two. What's also not in a standard first aid kit, but you might need? Tourniquet. First aid classes often teach how to use a tourniquet. That might be another one. Number three. Blood sugar. Diabetes is a very common illness, especially today in the United States. What might you need to manage diabetes? I can tell you through personal experience that often diabetics do not, uh, who have a blood sugar issue, often do not have the blood sugar monitor with them. So guess what? Might, that might be an appropriate thing to have in a first aid kit. Blood sugar, blood glucose monitors. Again, someone gets hurt, someone gets killed at, in your uh, uh, workplace. It's going to cost you a hell of a lot more than the 150 bucks for blood glucose monitor. Or if you get the really cheap ones at a box or at a, at a, a, a department store, maybe 50 bucks, roughly. That'll be a lot more. That might be something you need. You may need, uh, uh, and uh, uh, those are the big three. You may need a CPR shield. So in case you're going to do a CPR on someone and you have you have a shield on that person over their mouth, it might be another one. Those are the four basic items that you may need. Now, there are advertisers out there that they don't advertise here. If they want to advertise here, 845-269-5772, you can advertise with me. I sell all these wilderness types of uh, first aid kits that are marketed as that. Oh, this is a wilderness first aid kit. And there's a million and one things. They have medications in there and everything else. I'm going to tell you this. If you are not trained doing using that and you're relying on the good samaritan law of your particular jurisdiction to cover you if you're doing things that you're not trained to do you might have a problem so uh what do people do that they don't know they're not trained to do i've seen people suture other people right they think that they're rambo Sylvester Stallone, and they're using a needle and thread on people i've seen that uh people giving medication to people Insulin is uh, one where, oh, he has low blood sugar. So guess what? I'm going to give him insulin. And insulin will lower the blood sugar more and put the person into a diabetic coma. Seen that. Not a good idea. Uh, shouldn't be giving people syringes unless you're a doctor. Let them administer medication to themselves. Let the EMTs handle Let the professionals handle Don't do what you're not trained to do. Uh, another one. Uh, EpiPens, right? Epinephrine pens. Not trained to use an epinephrine pen 
right? You're not a medical person. You don't know what you're doing with it. You don't do it. You let the person inject themselves. Let the professionals inject themselves. One of my colleagues actually had somebody doing tra try to do a tracheotomy on someone. Yes, in the middle of nowhere, blah, blah, blah. That's sort of... So what's the moral of the story here with first aid kits? You have two types, ANSI, right? Uh, a small one and a large one. They're not uh, a first aid kit, class A, class B. They're not going to have everything you may need. So what do you need to do? You have to do an assessment. You have to uh, figure out what your needs are in the field and everything else. Now, here's the thing, uh, big debate on uh, in workplaces that I deal with. Who and why do we need first aid CPR training? Hmm. That's a valid question. It's a question that comes up often. It used to be that the only safety training, and that's why OSHA doesn't really consider it safety training, the only safety training that you've ever, a lot of companies used to give out were first aid CPR. We're not going to do anything else, but we do know how to respond to an emergency. Not to prevent an emergency, not to protect us in an emergency, not to prepare for an emergency. We're going to respond to it. Well, being a safety professional, or being out there in a disaster, what's rule number one? You don't want to make the situation worse. So therefore, we're gonna to try to avoid problems to begin with, rather than respond to them. Rule number one. And rule number two, according to the letters of interpretation in OSHA and everything, and court cases, everything else, you need to have a response within like three to four minutes, a medical response in the workplace. I'm going to tell you that unless you're working in a firehouse, police station, uh, ambulance squad, EMT, the chance of you getting a medical response in three to four minutes, probably not going to happen. So now you get into, okay, well, we're going to worry about first aid and everything. And this is all part of it. Where's the nearest hospital? Where's the nearest medical center? Where's the nearest urgent care? How am I going to transport the patient, the victim, there? It happened to uh, a couple of family members of mine. They decided to move to a remote part of the Northeast. Yes, there are remote parts in the Northeast. And person had a medical emergency. Nobody in the house of first aid CPR training. EMTs were on a car accident. There was one uh, ambulance for the town. I'm not faulting EMTs here. It's just one accident, one ambulance for the town. There's a problem. They got to call in an ambulance from another town. The whole town was signed up with a, a car accident from the first ambulance. Person never got the medical attention that they needed in a timely manner. And they ended up dying, unfortunately, a horrible death. Very young, was very difficult for the family. It still is very difficult for the family to get over it. So this has got to be in there, has got to be there. I'm in a remote area, whether it's workplace or home. Should I know some first aid CPR? Maybe get an AED, probably advisable. How do I get to the hospital? 
all this goes into that. Planning ahead of time. Thinking about what your needs are. Third example we'll give. I was on a dive job in New York, uh, in Newark, Port uh, Newark Bay. Shooter's Island, if you're familiar with the area. It was our job to uh, supervising, not the diving part of the job, the overall health and safety, where we were contracted by the Army Corps of Engineers, my client was, and I was working for them, uh, to remove pipelines from the uh, uh, Arthur Kill River and the Kilvan Cull, so they could deepen the channel. Uh, so deep draft cargo ships could come into Port Newark and that area, that's when they raised the Bayonne Bridge. So diver was, again, I'm not a diving guy. I'm in charge of overall safety. They have a dive supervisor. Dive supervisor goes and uh, is managing things. Guy comes up, he gets the bends. What that is, is nitrogen bubbles forming in the blood, very painful, could cause major health issues, could, in severe cases, could cause death. Dive supervisor is supposed to have everything going. So now the guy starts making phone calls. I was told with the plan, I didn't write the plan. Hey, I was very young in those days. Just go and take the guy over to uh, uh, no local medical center. Well, okay, guy has the bed and they'll take care. They know what to do. Okay, that's standard and everything. However, he has the bends. What's the medical treatment? The medical treatment is oxygen and some medications of some sort. I don't know what they are. I'm not giving medical advice. And the person had to be decompressed, meaning that you take him into a facility with a decompression chamber and they compress the body, put your body under tremendous uh, pressures like they were when you're underwater and then slowly release the pressure over the course of something like six to eight hours depending on circumstances there's a table a dive chart that you're supposed to go on and it's supposed to mimic the decompression that you're supposed to go under when you're diving coming to the surface right and uh, basically events is caused by being down too long and too high of a pr uh, pressure and it's impacted by water temperature and other things I'm not a diver, but that's basically it. We ended up going, this was a Friday afternoon, right? We call up local emergency room. We gotta have the guy decompress. We're on the way to the hospital with him. You can't do that here. We don't have that facility. We have a little one here, right? That's for like uh, wound care. That's not what you need. You need, you know, you need the real thing. So we end up going to a medical facility, I won't mention which one. They did phenomenal care because, you know, I don't want to mention which one. In New York City in the Bronx. Now, try to get there from Elizabeth, New Jersey to the Bronx on a Friday afternoon. Took us two and a half hours to get there because of traffic. We get there, they were in the middle of a cycle with a whole bunch of people in this uh, chamber Chamber, you had seats in there, they had music, they had books, they had everything. And no food, though. And he's, you're in a, a tube around 13, 14 foot long, and you have all these giant people in there. Can't stop the cycle, buddy. Now you're going to be there for another three or four hours waiting for this thing to go through. Guess what? Got a plan for this stuff. 
What else do they often use that type of chamber for? Any guess? Carbon monoxide poisoning. Severe cases of carbon monoxide poisoning, they often put people into a chamber to be decompressed. All the equipment there, special treatment. What's the point here? Right, again, we'll start moral of the story. The point here is this. You need to prevent accidents, prevent injuries, prevent illnesses the best you can. You don't want to become part of the problem. Remember, in a disaster, medical care may be lacking, right? Because it's allocated to other places. You may be in a remote location. You may not have communication systems. We're going to talk about communication systems uh, later on. Any number of reasons. So you avoid getting hurt. You avoid becoming part of the problem. Because if you become part of the problem, and here's my famous ending, if you become part of the problem and make the problem worse, you're going to lose that safety war. For safety wars, this is Jim Olsen. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.